if you know anything about the way of the Catholic Church, is you, at this young age, you are what's called confirmed. And during the time of confirmation, what, you, what is actually happening scripturally there is that you are being uh, infilled with the Holy Spirit. There's a, you have a sponsor there, and that person prays for you, and they believe God for you to receive this infilling of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, uh, whether it was my fault or the fault of my, or the, or the not fault, it's not, not really a concern to mine about the fault, but uh, for whatever reason, after that, we're kind of like, okay, now you're done, go on, make your way, go play. Uh, but what happened to me in that moment was uh, even unknowns to me at the time. As I look back, I didn't realize even that I was doing that until even recently when I had a moment in one of my sessions with my leaders to uh, revisit this little boy as he's out in the middle of the field doing his chores. Wow, I got like 16 pages to go here. I need to put it together. <laughs> Visiting this moment with this little boy who, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm even doing it. I just know that This is working for me. So I'm not sure why my parents didn't see the gift in me. I, if you've heard me sing lately, you would say, okay, I know why his parents didn't see the gift in him. <laughs> it's kind of like how good you sound, you think you sound when you're singing in the shower. And you know, that's, you know, I think that's a grace that God gives each one of us to think that, you know, there's only a very small gap between me and Celine Dion or me and Pavarotti or one of these people, you know, as I, you'll never find. I'm sure I could get a recording contract. That's not, mean, not really my point. My point is trying to get to this concept where you know, there is something that's dramatic about the nature of God when we understand what his intention was for that little boy uh, and what the, his intention uh, is in your life. And trying to understand how something, what, whatever happened to him and us and those that have yet to experience what God's full intention for their life is, that he's up to something and we, near, we are going to spend some time this month, we're going to talk about that, we're going to try to understand uh, what was God's plan, what was his intention, what is he trying to accomplish in each one of our lives and what's the pathway for him to accomplish that. Uh, sorry, can I have... Another set of pair of glasses. I didn't bring my reading glasses up. Thank you. In, in, <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 13, one of, my, one of the most important scriptures in the Bible for me, the ones in the square case, uh, in Hebrews 13, 5, it says this, that God promises us that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Where you have... <clears throat> anything is fine. Uh... You know, when you're going through difficulties, when life presents itself, some of the difficulties that might, well, that might, uh, that we might encounter, <coughs> I take a moment, pardon me while I change into Superman. <laughs> when, you know, when we're going through difficult times, when we're, when we're dealing with things, one of the most important things that we can always remember, that it's always part of our existence is this knowledge that God will never leave us and God will never forsake us. But we have a problem when we understand some of the, the stories and the things that we are told in the Bible. And then one thing we're gonna, wanna, we're gonna zero in on today is that in John chapter one, the, the, John's waxing poetic here in the beginning of his gospel, which is typically a chronological story. It's just kind of the day-to-day -day life of Jesus Christ. And but John decides to start his gospel, to start his message that was going to survive throughout all eternity. He starts his message by talking to us in a more philosophical way, a more poetic way, that Jesus was the word of God. And that you follow it down a wee bit later and you say that word of God <clears throat> became flesh, took upon itself. It's like it was this magnet that drew molecules, molecules to itself, causing itself, the word of God, to take on human form. As Pastor Alex, I think, mentioned this a little while back about this decision that Jesus had made to become a human, not just to become a human, but to remain a human 
for all of eternity now, Jesus has decided to become like one of us. He wasn't like one of us at first. He was the word of God at first. He was eternal. He was omnipotent. He was omnipresent in the nature of his being. And he decided one day that I am going to confine myself into the physical body, spiritual body of a human being. And the problem with that is because, uh, you know, as humans, we don't exist omnipresently. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I brag to people all the time that we're now, I'm a bit omnipresent because I can watch myself preaching another message as I'm preaching to you today, I could put that on here. So I have a, a degree of omnipresence around the world. And the things that you've accomplished for this ministry, you know, if or should I drop dead up here, I doubt that that'll happen today, but should I, that happen to me, I will live on because of the videos that you have spent money to present and put out to the world that the things that we've talked about in this building have the potential to be on the big screen in front of Captain Kirk on the Starship Enterprise in the year 2530. We could still be there because of the omnipresent nature of some of the things that we have done with what's happened in this ministry. And, and to each of you be the, the, the thanks for that as you have supported us in ministry. And, but the point that I'm trying to make is that there, as a human being, we, are, we exist somewhere. And so I could be visiting with Sandy today, and then I could leave him, and I could go and, and visit with somebody else. And so because Jesus has decided to, to, to release his omnipresentness <clears throat> and take on human form to dwell within a human body, even now a glorified body, which... We can all look forward to, you know, if you look at a few of the Gospels at the, at the ender portions there after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know that there's a bit of a change when you find out the disciples were, you know, having, you know, having a little meeting in a, in, a, in a room locked tight, and all of a sudden Jesus walks through the wall and comes and joins them. Perhaps you are remembering when, you know, another time, the, 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 you know, Jesus then is on the shore, and he calls to the disciples when they're out fishing, and He's cooking breakfast for them on the shore, and Jesus himself eats breakfast. So I'm thinking, how could you walk through walls, so be impervious to matter, at the same time as you eat fish, which means you are accepting of matter. And Jesus, there's a few of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're on the road, you know, off there, and they're off in the distance, you know, making their way, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them. He's just walking with them. So you can have all of these things, this slightly different in Jesus' manifestation of what it means to live in a physical body, a glorified physical body, a bit different than ours, but we're going there. How many of you say, we're going there? We will become like him, the Bible promises us. So we are in an infant stage, if you will, of our actual human intention. We're going there. But safe to say that Jesus himself now you know, we've, and we've made a problem with this because we, have, we teach children that, you know, Jesus lives in your heart. And I just, no, Jesus lives in heaven. He is physically in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. The next time Jesus comes back to this planet, well, he's going he's gonna to graze by, he's going to visit, going to catch us all away, he's going to visit, and then he's gonna, we're going to go and we're going to have a super big party, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb as we party with our new bride, Jesus, our new husband, rather, Jesus, as his bride, and then Jesus is going to come back. So the next time he actually comes back, the next time he sets foot on this planet, <clears throat> you know, some guys is going to win, some guys is going to lose at that moment. He's going to fix things that have been needing fixing for a long time. And so that's left a gap. It's getting, well, you know, okay, so that's true. You know what Jesus lives in my heart? Yeah. But we need to kind of understand because as we begin to go down this road, if the portion of God that I am visiting with uh, is Jesus, which you're able to do, you know, you can talk with Jesus on the inside of your heart. You know, there's a spirit to spirit thing that can happen there. But in the process of what Jesus' was, Jesus's intention was, the, the, the pathway of what it means to be a Christian, to be in the New Testament, that is something that is very specific. Jesus himself says in John chapter 16, verse 7, I'll read it for you. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. You know, Jesus is telling, he's trying to give them some warning. He's trying to soften the blow a little bit here. Because what's in the, how many of you know what's on the mind of the disciples? Okay, don't let me say how many of you know. I watched my last video, must have said it 400 times. <laughs> the disciples, take it, if I can recall my, what's that class called? The Toastmaster class. The disciples are looking to, like we have done, I think. Please let me, give, me the, give me the time to be able to unpack all this for you. The disciples had their eye on Jesus. They could see what this guy could do. I mean, he could walk on water. He could raise the dead. He could turn himself invisible. He, could, he did amazing things. Feed 5,000 people. Imagine that, 5,000 people. Talk about an economic recovery plan. There is a serious ability that this guy had. They obviously, as human beings, they were gonna look to Jesus and say, man, you are gonna be the boss. You are going to be the savior of the world. You're going to run these Romans out of town. You're going to run these religious folk out of town. And you're going to set your throne. And you're going to be the boss of all bosses. Who is going to take you out? <clears throat> and so you see what was in their minds. And then now we are visiting with Jesus as he is talking to these people. And he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is expedient for me, for you, sorry. It is expedient for you that I am going to go away. Not go away like to go out for dinner. Like go away and stay away for a long time. So far, 2,000 years that Jesus has been gone. But he said it was important for you, disciples, lovers of Jesus, people who have at least found the way so far, what we have seen so far from Jesus, they are in. He says, it's expedient for you that I go away. For the comforter will not come to you, but unless I depart, I will send him to you. That word expedient, that's a key verb there. It's, it's expedient. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it going to help? Is it going to hurt? Is it going to make it better? Is it going to make it worse? Jesus says, it's going to be expedient for you. That word expedient is the word simfero, which is where we get the term symphony. And it talks about how there is going to be a, a coming together. There is going to be a, a, a merging. There's going to be a bass and an and a, and a electric guitar mixed with a synth. And there's going to be drums there. And it's all going to kind of swirl in here and create something expedient, good. It's going to be better, so much better. Because Jesus, in his physical form, could no longer do that. He could no longer be in China right now having a conference and be here talking to us. He's not able to do that. He wasn't going to be able to symphano with each one of us. And, but he knew that the point of the kingdom was not going to be that Jesus died on the cross, although that was going to be an absolutely essential job that was accomplished, so essential that only the Son of God himself could accomplish it. But that the real ministry of the New Testament was not going to come in that, as, as us lifting Jesus up and making him the king of the world. The real future of the New Testament was going to be the symphano that happened when the comforter visited internally in each one of our lives, causing our lives to take hold of the full potential of what God has for us and find our way through from wherever we found him to standing in the winner's circle, accomplishing the destiny, the purpose, the very divine intent of your life is the backbone of the New Testament. It is the reason Jesus went to the cross. You see, Jesus said that he was going to go away and that he was going to send somebody that was going to be better for us. Think of just, sometimes we just have to take a moment. Who Jesus was going to send in our lives, it was going to be better for us and so Jesus made the, the tough decision to say, 
I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go. And when I go, another is going to take my place. And we see that in the second chapter. Now, this is only flip a few, few pages in your Bible before we arrive at the second chapter of the book of Acts, where the fulfillment of what Jesus was talking to us in, in John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, when he was prophesying, giving people a roadmap of where we're going from here. Don't get stuck. Don't get sidelined. Don't fall down. Don't forget that there's a, there's a greater thing that is going on here. I need you to know I'm going to leave. I'm going to send another. Acts chapter 2 comes along, and we see the visitation of this other. We see the arrival of this other that Jesus spoke about. And it says there that there suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. I always think about, you know, the, the demise of, of, the, of the, you know, if, if, you're, uh, if you're a science person, you know, there used to be dinosaurs on this planet. I don't want to debate all the timing of that, but I'm pretty certain that the dinosaurs expired when this earth was hit by an asteroid. I think that's pretty much proven right now, but I don't think it was an asteroid of common design. I think what happened was the, Holy, the, the, the Satan himself, when he was, Isaiah 14, banished from heaven because of his mutiny and betrayal, God sent him here. And so I wonder about what it would have felt like on this planet for an asteroid to hit it. I'm quite convinced, by the way, that the asteroid, we, not, we, ha- we actually can see the asteroid ourselves. I believe the moon itself was that asteroid and it hit the earth and bounced off and fell into orbit because the moon, if you know anything about physics, it could not exist in its present form from design. Anyways, let's not go to the science too far. But should you wonder where that asteroid is right now because they can't find it. They should just ask me. I'll tell them where it is. What would it have been like to be on the planet when Satan got here? An angel got here. Does anybody have any idea what it might have felt like when the Bible says it came from heaven, a mighty rushing wind? If that's what it was like when Satan got here, could you imagine being on the planet that day when this went across this earth as the Holy Spirit arrived? I wonder if the disciples at that moment were thinking, wow, this is expedient that the Holy Spirit has arrived. Now God, the God that dwells, he was, he, what happened was when Jesus was here, the Holy Spirit was in Jesus and went with Jesus. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of God. So when Jesus went to heaven, he said to his Spirit, go on back. God had taken on again in this realm. Now, you remember I've talked to you about there's the kingdom of man, which is here, space, time, and matter. Then there is heaven, space, and time. Matter, we leave here. You bury that part. You go to heaven, space, and time. And then there's the kingdom of God, which has only space. There's no time up there. This realm, this small little shoebox of of creation that we live in, there was a very short period of time when there was no God here. 50 days, actually. And then all of a sudden, God himself came back to earth. But he came back omnipresent. He came back able to live inside of you at exactly the same moment as he lives inside of somebody that is right now in the the, uh, space station or on the moon or soon on Mars or wherever we're going from here. That the omnipresence of God had been returned. Now, each one of us can simultaneously have an interaction, a relationship with the God of all creation. No longer having to visit here or there to come into his physical presence. No longer did we, like those in the days of Jesus, have to go and visit Jesus at the conference or 
uh, at one of his events, now God was visitable because he dwelt on the inside of every single human being. Jesus, now confined to a human body, could have been our leader. He could have been our example. Certainly, he is those things. Goodness sakes, he's those things. But he could not simultaneously help each of us individually from the inside out. You see, Jesus had purchased our freedom from sin. You know, that which separated us from the very presence of God, Jesus had had reopened the door. He had paid the price. He had fixed the problem allowing each of us to come to have an interactive relationship again with our Father, with the creator of the universe. Jesus had accomplished that for us. And so as we count these things down, watching the the history of our species, man was created in the garden. They flip a couple of pages, you know, it didn't take long, probably as long as it took for an apple to grow on the tree is how long it took before man himself sinned, bit that apple, betrayed God and sinned. One page later, and then we go a little lower, we've got 2,000 years where everything was only evil continually. There was no presence of God. God did not live with or in man. Man wandered around blindly trying to figure it all out in his animal nature. He destroyed everything. And then 2,000 years later, God visits this man, Abraham, and God starts to build his family. Another 600 years later, we have Moses coming on the scene as he is delivering the the people of Egypt and and spending time with God on the top of Mount Sinai where God is dictating to him the words of God. Moses writes the first four, five books of the Bible, having them dictated by God. And we go 1,500 years from that time. We have the visited, manifested presence of God in the earth as the word of God. And then the word of God takes on flesh and it dwells among us. Jesus himself now on the earth for 33 years. And he ends that journey here on earth with his death, burial, and resurrection. And the reason that he did that was because he was going to prepare a way for there to be another. You see, if you go backwards again, now go to this, if you take a look in the second page of your Bible, Genesis chapter two, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little uh, repetitive. You know, God's not repetitive, by the way. He doesn't have a stuttering problem. Uh, he talks again in chapter two, sort of like the chapter one is the Coles notes, and then chapter two, he goes into a bit of detail, all about the creation of mankind. And what went into that creation of mankind? And it says that God formed from the dust of the earth. He, he mixed mud and he formed and fashioned what it would be to, to be a human. Now we know it's not mud, it's molecules. You didn't, you didn't, you're not a mud creature. You did not come from a swamp somewhere. You were the assembly of, of bits and pieces of mud, but you were, uh, it was caused to be in a, in a molecular form. You were a physical body. Adam was a physical being, but he was a cadaver. He had no life in him. Well, let's, I'll clarify that in a moment. But let's read together. It's very important. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God's original plan now, that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Again, it's, it's, it, it's a, there's an iteration. You have to pay attention when God iterates himself. It's not actually good English to say that he breathed into him the breath. You can just say he breathed into him. We get the idea that it would have been breath that you did that with. But he didn't do that. He said uh, he breathed into him the breath of life. You see, what we, had, what, we have, what we have perhaps lost was that there is two kinds of life that we experience on this planet. We can experience biological life, which I think Adam had at, before this moment. God had formed him and fashioned him. He wasn't dead. He just was only biologically alive. 
and God breathed into him. What is the breath of God? What is it? Yeah, there was a time when we used to think, because we live in oxygen everywhere, we have air, and we would look up into the sky and we would think there's air forever. How many of you know there's not air forever? How many of you know there's a good possibility there is no air where God lives? So when he breathes into you, does he breathe air into you? <laughs> Perhaps no. Perhaps if we thought that, it's, it's, it's going to create a boundary for us. Wait a minute. No, this is not talking about him CPRing Adam. This is talking about him breathing himself into Adam. You know the word that the, 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 the word that is translated spirit is the word pneuma. That word is also translated breath. So you can go back to this scripture. Because we chose to use the word God breathed into the nostrils of Adam his breath. We can say we, God spirited into Adam his spirit. It's the same words. That doesn't make sense to us, so we use breathed. But I think we lost it by saying God breathed. And so when Adam, a couple, couple pages later, one page later, and the apple thing starts to happen, and God, because God had said in verse 17 there, wait a minute, sorry, this is the, this is the garden, this is, the, this is all the trees, the, the mango trees, and the pineapple trees, and the apple trees, not the apple trees, the, the cherry trees, and the pear trees, and the, the, the barbecue pizza chip trees over there. But there's this one tree right there. That if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And so they didn't realize that they weren't going to die. Not like they thought. What was going to happen to them was the breath was going to leave them. God cannot dwell with betrayal. It is, they are, they are infinitely incompatible conditions. God could not stay. In that moment, God had to leave. Gone. Boop. The lights are out. All of a sudden, Adam is, I must, you know, it must have been kind of weird because he'd gone a while with this condition that he was kind of in this state. And then all of a sudden, he wakes up and he's not the same anymore. Something changed. But you know what? If you ever did stuff and you change, you know, you don't change like in a moment. It takes a long time to change. Realizing, I never, you know, I used, to, I used to climb up these stairs and it never used to bother me. And all of a sudden, whoa, when did that <laughs> When did that happen? It didn't happen one day. It, it happens, you change. They told you not to skip the gym, but you did once. Don't, <laughs> yeah, once. It's that once that did it. But wait now, listen to what he's saying, the expedient, the symphano. That word fano is a word that refers to somebody coming along and carrying the weight. Like it would be referred to, as a matter of fact, as if you look at a sailboat. And a sailboat would be sailing down the, the, the river, the lake. And it was the, the real power of that sailboat is not the sail. The power of that sailboat is the wind. And it would be said that the wind was the fano. It was the, what was really carrying all the weight. What was really causing stuff to happen isn't the sail. It's the wind. Wait a minute now. Oh, I, got, I know you guys are Bible people. And it says in your Bible that when you follow Jesus, I don't need somebody to carry my burden. I don't need somebody yoked with me on this journey because his burden, can everybody say it with me, is easy. His yoke is what? 
is light. So why do we need this guy? What's the point? Why would God bother to spend all of his time down here looking for somebody's burdens to carry when we don't have any burdens? It's all light. It's easy, man. Remember I prayed that one prayer? And ever since I prayed that prayer in that altar, everything, tell me, isn't this part of your existence? Isn't this the story that you're going to tell me that ever since you prayed that prayer, man, I can't even remember what a burden is. Everything has gone so smoothly for me. Not a single day. There hasn't been a cloud in my sky. It's been 72 and sunny ever since I found Jesus. Can I tell you something? If you can stand up and say amen to what I just finished saying, man, you need to pass this church. Because it didn't go like that for me. I, I know some of yous. It didn't go like that for you. So we have this problem. We have this another conundrum where the scriptures creates a problem for us because Jesus said it's going to be easy and light. And then Jesus said, I'm going to help send somebody to help you with your burdens that are going to be so heavy for you that you're not going to be able to carry them yourself. And you're thinking, Jesus, boop, boop. How many of you know that ain't true? How many of you know there's an explanation for this contradiction? You see, when, if you take a look in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13 and 14, it, it, I'll read it to you. It says, enter ye into the straight gate, for the wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many they are that go that way. But straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leads to life, and few there be, aye, few there be that find it. So what, you're, what we're imagining here is we're imagining a, a, a whole country full of thorn bushes and, and barbed wire everywhere. And then through it all, there is this very narrow highway, a very narrow road, you know, Route 66 or whatever that's called, or the 401 in Canada, you know. Through the wilderness, there is this highway that has been built, and it's a very thin, relative to the rest of Canada, it's a very, very thin, thin road. If you stay on that road, it's going to go easy for you. Get off that road, and oh, you have no idea what's about to happen. Man, there's going to be a world of hurt out there. There's going to be thorns and there's going to be barbed wire. You're going to be bleeding and cut and bruised in every corner. But if you stay on the road, it's going to be easy for you. But we have a problem. Jesus knows the problem. He gave us the problem. The problem is, is that humankind have been given a sovereignty. And God can tell us that there's an easy way and there's a hard way, and he can tell us you ought to go the easy way. He says there's a highway and there's a bush, and you ought to go on the highway, which might seem elemental to most of us. If you had your child with you, you would say to them, do not go the hard way. You would say, go the easy way. And you could even describe to them what that easy way is going to be and how to find it and identify it and how to stay on it. There's a yellow line. Just keep walking on the yellow line. And you know as well as I do that they're going to take their hands off the wheel and it's going to veer. And if they don't put their hand back on the wheel, it's not going to be long before they're in the ditch. It's not going to be long before they're in the weeds, in the thorn bushes. Jesus knew that. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it said to us, Deuteronomy, this is a long, long, long time ago. This is Moses. And God speaks through Moses saying, listen, this is a precise world. If you know anything about physics, if you know anything about the way this world works, you buy a diesel car, you need to put diesel in it. You try putting gasoline in that car, it's, I know this from fact, it is not going to work because we live in a precise world. 
And God, know, God knows that. And so he said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he said the same thing Jesus just said in Matthew chapter 7. You got, you got a road to walk, and there is a road. I've made it that way, that you can live a life of blessing. You can live a life of light burdens and easy yokes. You can live this way. But there is another way. There is a way that's going to lead to life, but there is a way that is going to lead to destruction. There's going to be a blessing way. There's going to be a cursing way. Just to make sure it's clear, God did not want you to go the cursing way. He wanted you to go the blessing way. He said, choose life. Choose to go with me, he says. But it makes me wonder, what was in Jesus' mind when he said, I got a way that is easy. I got a way that's light. But I'm going to send you somebody who's going to help you when your burdens are heavy. Because he knew, didn't he? He knew this was going to be harder than it looked to do this easy road thing, to do this go down the right path thing. It was going to be hard to do that. You see, we veer and we find ourselves trudging through the bushes because we've, we've gone the wrong way. Oftentimes we go the wrong way because we didn't understand what the right way was. I remember one time when, when the GPSs were brand new, they were, they were Garmin's or TomTom's or that. I don't know if you remember that stuff. But I, we had, I had that it was in London, Ontario. You know, I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself because I was, I was on the road a lot. So it was like, uh, uh, you know, having this guy telling me how to get to, I don't have maps anymore and all that. Remember those days? It was so fun. Except one day the, the, the Garmin sent me uh, the wrong way up a one-way street. Now, you know, that's, that's a pretty terrifying experience. I didn't know I was going the wrong way. I would certainly not have gone up the, up the down way. I didn't know I, was supposed to, I wasn't supposed to go that way. I just was following Garmin. Emily, we called her. You know, we could also choose the wrong way because we're deceived. Yes, deceived is such a bad way of, of saying it, you know. Sorry, brother, I'm not deceived. No, it's easier to think of it as being tricked, being conned. You see, we get tricked. Somebody tells us that it's the right way. I remember, that, I remember Liz is here. I remember that, but Alex, I don't think, I think, I think it was Alex. I'm sure it was Alex. Told Liz that if you if you if you take a shower in cold water, when you come out, you'll feel warmer. <laughs> and she was tr she was tricked. That was a long time ago, by the way. Just just to clarify. <laughs> you see, you get we get tricked, we get deceived, we get we get you know we don't intentionally veer off the road and hit the hit the ditch. And many people that and also you know we can be going the right way. And make a mistake. You know, so many people are surprised. They're, they're, they can get offended at God, thinking that he's punishing them in the things of their life. That's not how it works. God's not punishing anybody. The thorns are punishing you. The ditch is punishing you. And it's not that they're punishing you. It's just the way our world works, right? I, if I were to take a one more step south, the concrete is not punishing me. It's what happens when gravity pulls my face onto the floor. Is that right? If I'm driving down a highway and I end up veering off the road and into the ditch, should I sue the guy who built the ditch? Or sue the guy that built the road? No. You should have bent the road right there. Is that what it, is that, no, that's not how it works. That's how we do it. Because we haven't understood the real dynamic of how hard this is for us to actually do the, the narrow path, for us, to, for us to actually go the straight way. And that's why Jesus said, dude, I got to go. But I'll send you another. You see, Jesus said this, you, you got to get to me. Jesus told me, you got to go tell people about me. Because if they don't come to me, then I can't get them to him. But if you'll come to me, the first thing Jesus wants to do, the very first thing that Jesus wants to do when you come to him 
is he's going to get you to the Holy Spirit. He's going to get you to the Comforter. First, we have to get to Jesus, and then Jesus will get us to him. Him who? So who is this mysterious person who doesn't have a name as, as such? In John chapter 14 now, Jesus is going to begin to talk to us about this guy. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus said, being yet present with you. I'm here with you right now. And being here with you right now, I'm going to tell you what is about to happen. And I'm going to tell you this is very important. I am yet with you, but... I'm yet with you, but... I'm not... Uh, in brackets. I'm not going to always be here with you. Bracket closed. But... The Comforter... which is the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. He'll bring you into remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. I'm going to send you the Comforter. He does have a name. It's capitalized in my Bible. His name is Comforter. That word Comforter means paraclete. Is that, it, the, the word they use, the, what, the original translated word there is parakletos. And the word parakletos is somebody coming alongside to help and give aid. It's like a, like a lawyer or an advocate, an intercessor, a helper, an assistant. What's very important for us to realize here is he's not saying, the guy I'm going to send you is not going to take charge. He's not going to be the boss. He's not going to be the commander or the tyrant or the overlord. He's going to be your assistant. He's going to be your helper. He's going to be your comforter. Jesus, in other places now, if you've read 14, 15, 16 of John... You know that Jesus talks about some other words to describe this guy. He calls him teacher and spirit of truth and guide and somebody who will show you things to come. He's speaking of preparedness. He's speaking about training. He's speaking about future focus. So it's great. All you got to do is get prepared to do it right uh, and then do it right and everything is going to be okay. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you. He's going to teach you. He's going to guide you. He's going to make sure you don't veer off the path and everything is going to turn out honky-dory because my burden is light, my yoke is easy. But it's very interesting that that kind of talks about a Christianity where we get everything right. Can I tell you something? Christianity is not somewhere where you get everything right. Matter of fact, it's the one place on the planet where we already expected that you were not going to get it right. Because if all I needed was a teacher and a guide, a coach, a leader, a shower of things to come. We just stay on the narrow path. But that's not what Jesus said. He did say that. That's not what he said first. That was not the characteristic. That was not the job description that he gave the Holy Spirit when he introduced us to him. He said, this guy is going to be your comforter. Because he knew there is a, a narrow path, there is a straight way. All you got to do is walk on it. I wonder if Jesus knew stuff could go wrong. I wonder if he knew that there was going to be a human, one of them, sometime in the future was going to get something wrong. He's going to not figure it out. Why would I ever need a comforter? Anyone think there may be a possibility? A remote, I understand that we might get it wrong, that we may go the wrong way, that we may end up bloodied and cleaved on the side of the road, face down in a thorn bush for not getting it quite right, not quite right physically in your physical body, maybe not quite right emotionally, not quite right relationally, not quite right financially, not quite right spiritually, somewhere in all of those lists of things that go on in your life, having to be a, in a life of precision, in any of those areas, and you might not be quite enough precise in one of them. Would you say there's maybe a remote possibility that that could have happened to someone between Jesus and now? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what Jesus understood. 
Because you see, Christianity is not a place where everybody gets it right. It's a place where we pre-expected people to get it wrong. You see, Jesus knew there were going to be times when we needed a comforter. You know, we'll get to the teacher part, the guider part, the shower of things to come part. Yeah, we'll get to that. Right now, we need a, a comforter. I'm so blessed I have three grandchildren. You know, I, we, in our home, b- bad planning uh, on my part. In my home, we have what we call the sunken room. And the sunken room is two steps down. The main floor, if you've been in my home, you know there's a main floor area, and then in the TV area, you go down two steps to get into that TV area. It's, it's open and all that, no walls, but the steps are there. And so it's, you know, as the little ones are trying to na- na- learn to navigate Mimi and Bubba's home, one of the things they have to learn to do is navigate these stairs. And it's curious, it's very, it's, it's, it's humorous to us, it's hu- sadly humorous to us, but, you know, maybe psychopathically humorous to us. To watch them as they're trying to figure all this stuff out. Oftentimes, I've noticed it many times that they would stand, they would get this one step, this, the upper floor, one step, and then the carpet floor down here. And they, they oftentimes, they would get down to the one step and think they made it. And they would forget that there's another step. I think you all can see what, what's, what, what, what has the potential of happening, even though there's an easy way to get down those stairs. How many of you can see that there's potentially a moment when it didn't go quite well? We could have at that moment, we could have sat them down and taught them about the principles of gravity. We could have certainly explained to them the handrails and why the handrails are there, not to forget to hold on to those handrails. We could show them what will happen next time if they make that same mistake and forget that they're only on the first stair. We could bring them into remembrance over and over and over again. But how many of you know that's not what they need at that moment? What they need at that moment is they need mommy to come and hug them. What they need at that moment is a comforter. You see, the first thing that we need on this journey is not a teacher. It's not a guide. It's the first thing we need in this journey is we need a comforter. <laughs> because there's just some times when all we can do is crawl into bed and pull the comforter over our heads And hope the sun comes up again tomorrow. <laughs> so how does the... Thank you, Alex. There's <laughs> a little moment there. A little drama for you. Unforgettable teaching, Pastor Ian. I remember that part where... So how does the Holy Spirit comfort us? Can I give you three before we go? Because we have to learn this, because our Christianity has focused and, and, and wonderfully focused on Jesus. But can I tell you, living prosperously, living on the right path, living in the way, living on the narrow road is about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus is the gate, the Holy Spirit is the path. The gate is a moment, the path is a way, it's daily. So how do you get the comfort? We're going to talk later in the month. As you come back, I'm sure you'll come back. This has been so awesome today. I'm sure you'll come back. The, when, you, when you come back, we're going to talk about the teacher. We're going to talk about the guide. We're going to talk about these things. But we got to know how to access the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Because I tell you something, watching my grandchildren, they don't want to know about gravity. They, won't know, they don't want to know what the physics of what they did was wrong and how it worked. They don't want to know that. Matter of fact, they won't even stop. You can't even talk to them. You just have to give mommy a, a moment. You got to get Mimi to come in and let their, her, you know, just comfort them. Because if you don't have that moment where you can be comforted, you don't have that moment when everything is just okay. And let it all the pain go away and let all the, the you know, the, the, you're feeling emotionally bad, you're ashamed, you're, you're feeling bad, you're humiliated, you fell down, you, and it's all, you, you got to take, take a moment. 
You gotta take a moment. How do we access that comfort? Can I tell you something? It's in his presence. Maybe you're not inst- you don't know. I mean, here, I hope you do know what it feels like to be in the presence of God, but on the, uh, you know, wherever we, you are that I'm speaking to right now, maybe you've never experienced the presence of God. Can I tell you the presence of God in the earth today is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does, has come down, but the Holy Spirit does not come down now. He's already down. When the Holy Spirit comes, when you experience the presence of God, you are experiencing him from the inside out. He kind of goes from this little cubby that he lives in and And so where am I right now? I am in the presence. I can feel it in my physical, it's tangible. You can feel it in your physical body. It is that presence of God the Holy Spirit on the earth, which is the hug. It's mommy coming and hugging you. How do you do that? You just, it's so easy. Since I've learned to do this, it's been, a, it's, it's, it's been the, uh, so I used to live in my mind. Can I tell you something? That's a very nasty place to live. Do you know anything about my mind? You know how you see that aerial shot of a city with all the highways and looping and all the overpasses and all that kind of stuff? That gave me a little bit of an idea of what it looks like inside of my mind. It's a very, very busy place. A lot going on up there. Not all of it good, but a lot going on. I learned how to get here. That's all it is. You gotta learn how to get here. I point here because it's actually here. You can feel that it's here. You just have to be here. If you don't know how to do it, that's okay. Come back next Sunday. When you get into worship, just close your eyes and be here. Don't be thinking about anything else. Just close your eyes and just be here and focus here. You can actually focus here. I, I know, it sounds crazy. When I first heard this, I thought the person was crazy too, so I forgive you. And what you're doing is you can, and after a while of doing it, you may only be there, oh, boop. You're in and out, because it scares you, boop. But then after a while, you get used to it, and now you can get there. You know, I was here, the, we had prayer the other night, you know. Uh, no, uh, you're gonna have to, yeah, I got a ways to go. I was here the other night for prayer, and uh, I just sat in the back. And, you know, normally I do the sound, and I'm running around with all the tech and stuff like that. But I just wanted to spend some time and preparing for today's message, and I just wanted to sit there and just be there. I don't get to just be there a lot when I'm here, because usually when I'm here, you know, we've got, we got stuff to do. And it was wonderful, listening to all the music and the prayer and all that being lifted up to the Lord and just being able to be there in his presence. Number two, to pray in tongues. You know, my singing in Italian, when I was a young boy, my singing in Italian was the tongues that were coming out of me. I did not know that at the time. I I just just thought I was praying in Italian, literally. Uh, You know, the one thing about prayer, especially tongues, is that it is low effort prayer. You don't really gotta do anything. You don't think, what should I pray for? Because a lot of times when you're face down in the thorns, can I tell you something? There's, there's not a whole lot of things you can think of to, to pray. I don't, know how to get to, I don't know how to get out of here now. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray for. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. If I knew what to do, I wouldn't be face down. The reason I'm face down is because I don't know what to do. So praying in tongues is, is low effort, low energy prayer. You know, it's, it's a comfort to know because what you're doing is you are letting the Holy Spirit pray through you. Your brain doesn't know what to do. You're just saying, Holy Spirit, I don't want to pray, man. Bubba da goo ba da do you, mother do you, send the line of glass. 
low effort, but, you co- but it comforts you. You know why? Because somebody knows what to do. Somebody knows how to get out of this. Somebody knows how to get off and back on the path. You know, it's, 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 it's amazing to me. Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit, the mighty rushing wind. You know, what? imagine what that would have been like in the very first thing the Holy Spirit wanted to do. It said, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and started praying in tongues. The very first thing the Holy Spirit wanted to do was he wanted to pray. He wanted to start saying stuff into this atmosphere. He wanted to start fixing stuff as soon as he got here. And then the third thing that we're going to get to is we have to get to the grace. You got to get to that place where Holy Spirit is able to tell you. Just like mommy tells her baby who has hurt herself or himself. Says, shh, 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 everything is going to be okay. There is a comfort that comes to our hearts when we hear the Holy Spirit say, everything is going to be I'm going to close with this. It's harder than it looks. Why is it so hard? It's hard because the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a dove. I can promise you the Holy Spirit is no dove. But there, I believe the reason that he talks about, God talks about the Holy Spirit in those terms, that those, the, the imagery of, that, of the Holy Spirit coming down and visiting Jesus as a dove, the reason that that is is because the Holy Spirit whispers. He whispers. Imagine having a friend. Imagine, imagine being, let's say you married an Italian and you were related to all of your Italian, you give birth to Italians and you, you know, you are surrounded by Italians. They're loud people by nature, not saying all of them, but by nature they have a reputation. Let's say, I gotta get myself out of this, you know, stop digging, yes, stop digging. What if you had one person in that group who whispered? What if you have a friend, if you're a loud person by nature, what if you have a friend who whispers? Only whispers, doesn't ever talk, just just whispers. See, the problem is, is that the Holy Spirit is a dove. He's, we have two doves, love doves, in our backyard. We have a lot of birds, actually. We have cardinals and we have blue jays and we have those black ones that nobody likes and we have all, those, you know, all kinds of different things back there. And they're all noisy. Man, you go out there in the morning and oh my gosh, it's like there's somebody turning this off. The cardinals are wailing and the blue jays are wailing and those black things are dive bombing you. You go in near there. i tell you something, you look out, you, when you see a dove, That's it. That's all they do. When they fly, they don't even make noise. There's no flap, 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 like those black ones. You know, they drive you crazy. <laughs> you see, the problem is, is that there's, there's too much noise going on in our mind. You know, we're going to blame. Yes, it's easy to blame. We're going to blame, you know, the media. We're going to blame the, the, the this and the that. And you're this or that. Can I tell you something? That's not the noise you're worried about. I used to watch Liz when she would study. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. She'd have her earphones on, so I'm thinking, you know, she's got some, you know, a little bit of light music there when she's studying. She takes it out. You can hear it through the, the, I don't know, how do you study with all that noise? It's not, it's not the noise on the outside that's the problem. You know, it's the noise on the inside. It's hard to hear them. All those voices. All those people talking to you on the inside. Yes, it's about the outside, but it's the inside reacting to the outside, screaming their head off. And your best friend doesn't know you whisper. So what's the important thing? You have got to have, I'm going to tell you something, we're going to end this right now. Ooh, 11.33, I'm in so much trouble. You've got to find a revelation zone. You've got to find a place where you can be quiet. I mean, turn the music on as loud as you want, but you can be quiet. 
You can be bug-free. You can be hassle-free. Where you can be quiet enough on the inside to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Or just that he's there. So a lot of times, my life, the last few months, the Holy Spirit doesn't say much. He just hugs me. Maybe I'm in need of a hug. He just hugs me. <laughs> I can't go there. It's so beautiful, but I need to be quiet. Can I tell you something? You need to have a place of quiet, and you have, a, have to have a process to get you to quiet. Can I tell you something when you're, ah, can I tell you something? Who's my, who's my, uh, ah, Jenny, I knew, I knew it would be Jenny counting. You have to get a, you have to get a process. I have to go through a process till this very day. I got a lot going on in my mind. I'm super busy. I got lots of things. I got to be able to get out of that and I got to come back down. I got to get in my face of quiet. I got to do a thing. You know, one of the things they teach soldiers to do is they teach them how to sleep on a battlefield. Imagine that. If you've never been to war, you probably didn't think about that. Like they have to go into their bunk. Maybe this was in the First World War, Second World War. They're out in the field. They're in the trenches. And the bombs are flying. The guns are flying. There's things, you know, flashes in the sky. They got to... They got to be able to tuck themselves into a corner, get their comforter, and fall asleep. How do you do that? They would teach them a process, breathing and then meditating, and then, you know, they'd fall asleep. Because you can't have a soldier on the field who didn't sleep. You have to heal the noise. See, the noises are not from the outside. They are from the outside. There's a real. There are in, there's, there's, there's triggers that are going on on the outside. There's issues. There's challenges. There's opportunities. There's difficulties. There's, you know, yeah, it's all on the outside. But that's not the problem. The problem are my voices on the inside reacting to those things. You see, the reason the whole, we needed the Holy Spirit is we need somebody on the inside. We need somebody to talk to us on the inside. We need somebody that's going to be able to come to us and say, shh, shh, shh. I watched Danielle do this. I watched Jess do this. Shh, Everything's okay. Do you know how I get the attention of my grandchildren? Undivided, singular attention of my grandchildren. You want me to tell you how to do it? It's a little secret, a little grandpa secret coming at you. I miss you. Give me a hug. <laughs> I whisper. What do we do? How do we get started? In, jo- in Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus tells us the enormously complicated way that you, all the, all the gauntlet that you have to go through in order to get this Holy Spirit to live inside of your heart. You're going to need notes for this. You're going to need pen, probably new extra pens to get all the process down clearly. Jesus said, you just needed to ask. He says, what if I, you ask, would, would in fact, would, if you ask me for bread, would I give you a scorpion? If you ask me for a good thing, would I give you a bad thing? No, God says, no, no, if you ask me for the Holy Spirit, then I will give him to you. All you need to do is ask. And so as we close out today, we're going to just, we're going to do that. The New Testament is, began with Jesus, lived with the Holy Spirit. The breath of life restored to that little boy as he sung in Italian doing his chores. The breath of life had been restored. No longer just biologically alive, but alive with the very life of God on the inside.
If you've never had that experience and you've never, and you may already be filled and just never known how to find a quiet place. You know, all those things, lots to learn. If you've never had that experience, if you've never been in that moment, or maybe you've prayed it, but you're just not sure whether you meant it or whether it happened or whatever, it's totally good. As a congregation, online and in the buildings around the world, you just, just, let's just take a moment. You see, as a little boy in getting my confirmation, I, what did I know? I mean, I knew everything back then, of course, but what did I know? I didn't have to know anything. I didn't have to know how it's all going to work. I just had to be willing to say, Holy Spirit, would you live in my heart? Would you restore me? Would you be my comforter, my teacher, my guide? Will you show me things to come? So let's just pray. Say, Father, Jesus told me that my destiny was to be filled with the very breath of God, the very life of God, and the innermost part of my being. That this great treasure, this pearl, this prize, all I had to do was ask. So Father, will you fill me with the Holy Spirit.